0: Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here with us today. We're thankful for those who are joining us online. It, it says something that uh, you made the effort to, to be here, to be gathered with God's people and God's presence, and so we thank you for that. I'm going to uh, read a portion from Romans chapter 8 as we begin this new series that, that we're starting this morning, looking at one of the great chapters of the Bible. And so if you have a Bible, you might be turning there. Um, I want to also mention, I know Bob already mentioned it before, but we are having a new member luncheon next week. So encourage all of our new members uh, to join us there. And if you're considering membership, if you're thinking about membership, we'd also like to have you as our guests. So Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. who dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Well, in 1958, a man from Nebraska named Clifton Hillglass began a business in his basement. And by 1964, this company was doing over 1 million units in sales a year. And then in 1998, Clifton sold his company for 14.2 million dollars. The name of that company, Cliff's Notes. And some of you may have bought one of these over the years. You know, they kind of provide overviews of important books, often classics. And so you could get Cliff's Notes for uh, practically the entire works of Shakespeare. You can also get, as you can see here, Cliff's Notes for the Bible. Now, I'm not encouraging anyone to go and, and read the Cliff's Notes versions of the Bible, Um, All Scripture is inspired. All of it is important. All of it needs to be read and meditated upon. And yet, we like to know what is the gist of important books. We like to know what we're getting ourselves into. And if it's a book that requires some thought, like Scripture does, then we want to understand the the big ideas before we kind of dive in. And this is something that, that can be quite helpful Especially when approaching Scripture. And so I want us to to just toy with this idea this morning. What are the Cliff's notes of Scripture? And there are several ways to approach this. One is sort of to understand the structure of the Bible. And so even though the Bible is comprised of multiple books that were written uh, over many years, it's still one long narrative. And so understanding this narrative helps us better understand specific books and specific chapters. And so what is this narrative? Well, it looks something like this. You have creation in Genesis 1 and 2, where God created everything, and that creation is good. He created the, the universe and all that is in it. He created you and me. And not only that, we were created in the image of God. And so scripture begins with creation, It answers the question, how did we get here? And then you have sin, which shows up in Genesis chapter three, and this answers the question of what is wrong with the world? Human beings disobeyed God and introduced sin into the world. And with sin came death and disease and pain and everything else that is contrary to the will of God. The world is the way it is today because of sin. But God was not content to abandon His creation to sin, so He came up with a plan to redeem all creation. And He called Abraham to follow Him, and He made a nation out of His descendants, and He set Israel apart to be a light to the nations. And that's what you have in Genesis 12 all the way to Malachi. But then through Israel comes the Messiah, the Son of God. God himself took on flesh and blood and dwelt among us. Jesus is the full revelation of God. He came to show us how to live. And he began a ministry here on earth that we are to continue to this day. He went to the cross and he conquered sin. And he was raised three days later overcoming death. And then he ascends to heaven and sends his spirit. And the church is the body of Christ. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. We are kingdom people who live under the reign and rule of Jesus. And then one day, Jesus is coming back again to right all wrongs. He's going to redeem his creation from sin and death, and we will be resurrected just like Jesus, and we will live with him forever in the new heavens and new earth. Now that's one way of doing the Cliff's Notes version of the Bible. And it's quite helpful. You know We should all know the story of Scripture. We're not going to remember everything in the Bible, but we should be able to tell people what the Bible is about. Now, another way of giving a sort of Cliff's Notes versions of Scripture is by identifying key chapters in the Bible. And these are chapters that stand out because uh, that they contain important information that's not to be missed. So a great chapters of the Bible list may look something like this. And reading just a handful of chapters gives a person an idea of what's in Scripture and what Scripture is all about. And and these are important chapters that that often address or or sort of sum up the significant themes in the Bible. And so I want us for the next few weeks to examine one of these chapters, and, and the chapter is Romans 8. This chapter has been described as the heart of Romans. It's an important chapter that covers some essential biblical themes and doctrines. It's a rich chapter that contains teachings that point us beyond the chapter itself and this is what great chapters do. They they, they capture part of the message that runs throughout all Scripture. So what is Romans 8 about? Why is it one of the great chapters of Scripture? Well it's not just one thing. It's multiple things. But there is one message that this chapter does not want us to miss. And it's so important that the chapter actually begins with it and ends with it. What do you say to a people who are troubled? What do you say to a people who are living as outsiders in a pagan culture? What do you say to a people who are facing persecution? What do you say when life just gets tough? Well, you say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the first of the chapter. Then you skip all the way to the end. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Romans 8 is about assurance. If you are in Christ and if you have set your mind on the Spirit, you have nothing to worry about. God is not going to give up on you. There is nothing in this world that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. The idea that that we cannot know whether or not we are saved is rubbish. It goes against passages like, like Romans 8 and others. If we are in Christ, we don't have to fear God's judgment. The judgment of God is for those who are outside of Christ. It is for those who are living according to the flesh. So don't believe the lies that sometimes get confused for Christianity. There are movements in our country who teach that health and wealth are a sign of God's blessings. And therefore, if you're not healthy and wealthy, then something's wrong with your faith. That's a lie. And it goes against what we see in Scripture. Scripture. Because guess what? Jesus was not wealthy. His apostles were not wealthy. They were persecuted. All but one of them were executed. So your circumstances don't determine your salvation. God does not walk away from you because you're having a hard time. God's love does not decrease because you hit a rough patch. It's quite the opposite. Let's look at what one of the other great chapters in the Bible has to say about all this. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The message of Scripture is this. God is with us in our trials. God is near the brokenhearted. God walks with us through the darkest valleys. Life is hard, but do not ever interpret the difficulties of life as God giving up on you because he hasn't. He is with you. He's by your side. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so the first thing we have to know is that Romans 8 is about assurance But it's also about true living. Are you really living? I want you to think about this for a moment. Do you wake up every morning frustrated? Or do you wake up feeling blessed to be given another day? Are you constantly upset? Or are you constantly joyful? Are you filled with dread or are you filled with hope? Are you at peace or are you constantly involved in conflict? Are you really living? Because this is what the next section in Romans 8 is about. Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin. Jesus came so that we can enjoy an abundant life. Are you living it? Because God has put his spirit in us as he promised. And the spirit helps to transform us into the image of Jesus. But the spirit does not force us or coerce us. The spirit works alongside our wills. And so if we are going in the wrong direction If we are wrapped up in the works of the flesh and that's what we're concerned about and that's what our mind is set on, there's not much the Spirit can do because we have chosen the flesh over the Spirit. But if we set our minds on the Spirit, our lives are changed and we experience abundant life and God's shalom, God's peace. And this is what verses 5 and 6 are all about. Listen to how they're translated in the Kingdom New Testament. Look at it like this. People whose lives are determined by human flesh focus their minds on matters to do with the flesh. But people whose lives are determined by the Spirit focus their minds on what matters to do with the Spirit. Focus the mind on the flesh and you'll die, but focus it on the Spirit and you'll have life and peace. Now, some of this language here is unusual to us. What does Paul mean when he uses words like uh, flesh and spirit? These are not words that, that we typically use, and if we do, we certainly don't use them in the same way that Paul is using them here. So let's talk about this for a moment. Let's, let's look, first of all look at what N.T. Wright has to say about the word flesh, and I think he sums it up very well here. He says, Better to learn once and for all that when Paul uses the word flesh and other similar words, he does not intend us simply to think of the physical world in our normal sense as opposed to the non-physical. He has other language for that. The word that we translate here and elsewhere as flesh refers to people or things who share the corruptibility and mortality of the world. And often enough, and certainly here, the rebellion Of the world. Flesh is a negative term. For Paul as a Jew, the created world, the physical world, was good in itself. Only its wrong use and its corruption and defacing are bad. Flesh highlights that wrong use, that corruption and decay. And so don't misunderstand Paul. He's not saying that everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good. There are some spiritual things that are bad and there are some physical things that are good. Um, the, the idea that, that everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good goes against everything in Judaism. It goes against Christianity who puts our hope in the resurrection of the body. And so it means something different. So, so, so what does he mean here? One of the easiest ways to understand what Paul means by spirit and flesh is to look at what he says in Galatians 5. Because he defines it for us. He writes there, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so what is Paul talking about here? Paul is talking about two ways of living. There is the way of the flesh and there is the way of the Spirit. There is the way of Jesus and there is the way of the world. These are two distinct mindsets. Now let's hear what Paul says in Romans 8, 5 through 6 again. People whose lives are determined by human flesh focus their minds on matters to do with the flesh. But people whose lives are determined by the Spirit focus their minds on matters to do with the Spirit. Focus the mind on the flesh... And you will die. But focus it on the Spirit and you will have life and peace. If we are really living, then we are going to set our mind. We are going to focus our mind on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's true living. That is Abundant life, that is the way of Jesus, the way of the Spirit. But if, on the other hand, we have set our minds on sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, then we are in danger of death. And he's not just talking about physical death here, he's talking about the death of our souls, We have devoted ourselves to decay, to corruption. And that's not living. These ways do not lead to human flourishing. And so Paul is talking about the the choices that we make in life, where we're going to focus our mind. Are we choosing spirit or are we choosing flesh? At the very beginning of this chapter... Paul is telling us, he says, there's a battle going on, and we need to choose wisely. Now, what's interesting is that Paul is not talking about what we believe. Now, certainly belief is important, but it's not mentioned here. And far too often, we make the battle all about beliefs. We have to say, yeah, you know, you've got to be on the right side or you have to hold to the truth, or you have to believe the right thing. And then we never talk about how we hold to the truth, or how we are to live in the world. This whole discussion in Romans 8 is about being. It's about our mindset. It's about the way that we live. Because guess what? A person can hold to the truth and be wrong. A person can hold to the truth and be on a path to destruction. A person can hold to the truth and be immoral. A person can have all the truth there is and still be lost if they're not walking in step with the Spirit. And so being a Christian is not just about what we believe. Yes, beliefs are important, but there's more. Being a Christian is about who we are becoming. It's about how we are living. It's about choosing the way of the spirit and rejecting the ways of the flesh so how are you living and finally the first part of romans introduces us to what god is doing in the world it introduces us to the life to come and then you get here at the very end of this section what god has planned If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is our hope. And we have to pay attention to what the Bible says and what it does not say. Paul does not write because the Spirit dwells in you, you'll one day die and go to heaven. Scripture says very little about dying and go to heaven. We sing a lot about it. Scripture says very little about it. Instead, Paul writes, because the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you will also be raised from the dead. Our hope is in resurrection. God's plan is not an escape plan. It is a plan of redemption. We're not waiting to escape this world so we can live as disembodied spirits in the sky. We are awaiting the resurrection of our bodies so that we can live with God and Jesus in eternity in the new heavens and new earth. God is not just going to redeem our souls. He's going to redeem our souls. He's also going to redeem our bodies. He has conquered death and decay. And we're going to learn later in Romans chapter 8 that that God also intends to redeem all creation. This is His plan. And we do disservice to God when we minimize it or we distort it. And so Romans 8 is an incredible chapter. It's about assurance. It's about abundant living. It's about the hope of resurrection. And that's just in the first 11 verses. So there's more to come. So what I encourage you this week is to spend some time reading Romans 8 and meditate on the love of God and how there's nothing that can separate you from that love. And contemplate what you're doing with your life and what it is you're devoting yourself to Consider what you're setting your mind on and how you're living. Because not all life is living. We can only experience abundant life when we are following the way of the Spirit. And also remember that God has a plan. Sin will not win. Death will not win. God is working to redeem all creation and He's invited us to be a part of this plan. We participate in the redemption of all things each time that we pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray and then we go. We go out into this broken world and seek to heal what is sick. And mend what is broken. And redeem what is lost. We point people to Jesus and tell them that brokenness is not forever. Sin is not permanent. And death has been defeated. There is hope. There is hope in a broken world. There is hope when things don't go our way. There is even hope beyond the grave. This is why we devote ourselves to chapters like Romans 8. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful to be here in your presence this morning. We honor you, we glorify you, we praise you, and we're grateful for everything you've done for us. We're grateful for your love, which nothing in creation, nothing in this world can separate us from May we remember this. We're grateful for the way of life that you have given us. We're grateful for your spirit that lives in us to help transform us into the image of your son. And we're grateful for your plan and the hope of resurrection. May we take this message of hope to a lost and dying world. May we remind them that sin does not have the last word, death does not have the last word, that there is a Lord who has conquered sin and death, and that there is abundant life in Jesus Christ. Pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand and receive this blessing from the book of Numbers? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace.